Okay, we're beginning here with the Mishnah on Kufchat Bet Amud Aleph. The Mishnah says, Nachri Shidliket Aner, a non-Jew who lights a candle, Mishtamesh Ro Yisrael. A Jew can benefit from that candle, being Bishvil Yisrael, but if he lit it in particular for the benefit of the Jew, Asur, that is problematic. Rashi says, of course, Asur Midrabanan, and this actually introduces us to a third area of Amir Leakum, or a problem of Anakum doing Malacha on Shabbat. In the previous stop, as we discussed already, the Mishnah had two categories that are problematic in terms of Amir Leakum. Rashi quotes them in one place as, but Daber Davar, it's a problem that you're not allowed to speak about these items or give instructions about whole items to a non-Jew. And then Rashi also mentioned the fact that it's shlichut, that the Nochri is acting on your behalf. And the difference that the Achronim bring is that there are two different types of Amir Al-Akum. There can be an Amir Al-Akum, which is before Shabbat. So over there, there's no problem of speaking about these matters on Shabbat, because you didn't speak about them on Shabbat, you did it before Shabbat. But your instructions before Shabbat are going to be carried out on Shabbat itself. And that's a problem of Shlichut, that you've engaged him to do this bidding on your behalf. And that's a problem of Amir Al-Akum, because he's going to act on your behalf, and he's going to do Malacha on Shabbat because of your instructions. That's one form of Amir Leakum. There's also another form of Amir Leakum, which is on Shabbat itself. On Shabbat itself, if you tell a Nachri to go to do Malacha for you, maybe not for Shabbat, maybe even after Shabbat, and there, there's no problem of the Easter Malacha on Shabbat itself. The problem is that you're speaking about these matters on Shabbat, and that's the problem of Amir Lakum of the Ber Devar. So those are already two categories of Amir Lakum that we saw back with regards to the extinguishing of a fire. Over here, we have a third category of Amir Lakum, or a problem with the Goy doing Malacha on Shabbat. And that is when the Goy does that particular Malacha for a Jew. That is, even without instruction. So even if you didn't tell the Nachri to do it, so there's no problem of directed Amir Lakum like we have in those other instances where you're instructing him to do it, whether it's on Shabbat or after Shabbat. We have Problems of Shlichut or the Berdavar. But here you gave him no instructions. He just does it for the benefit of the Jew. There's a separate restriction here that you're not allowed to benefit from the Malacha of a Nachri that is done on Shabbat. Rashi here hints at it and Beitza says it more explicitly, and that is because you're not allowed to be Nene from Malachet Shabbat. Things that are done on Shabbat, we don't want you getting benefit from those items, and therefore you're going to have to wait until after Shabbat in order to benefit from it. And if the Nachri does it in particular for you, that is problematic. On the other hand, the Baliyatosafot note over here that the problem is not that we're worried about you getting Hana from Malachet Shabbat, but we're actually worried about the fact that the Nachri does it for your benefit, if we allow that to go through, the next time around, you're going to say it directly to the Nachri and tell him to do it. If he does it for you without bidding, without your asking, then the next time around you say, this is so convenient, this is so great, you're going to end up asking him to do it and be in violation then of Amir Lakum. And even though Amir Lakum itself is only Midr Abanan, you have to say this is all part of one Gezeiro, or one Takanat Chachamim, to avoid turning Shabbat into Chol because of the fact that you have now all the Malachot being done by a Nachri on Shabbat. So Rashi sees it as an inherent problem of Malachat Shabbat, again, Midr Abanan, and the Bali Tosafot see it as a problem precipitating a Shabbat that's no longer Shabbat, because then you're going to ask the Nachri to do this for you. Tosafot does qualify over here that we have certain Malachot. For instance, when a person gets engaged in those Malachot, we worry about the fact that if we allow or matir you to benefit from them, then you'll come to do that Malachot. The Gemara in Beitza, for instance, speaks about fruits that fall off of a tree. If we allow you to benefit from those fruits that fell off the tree, 
then you're going to come to pick the fruits off the tree. Over here, we don't say that just because the Nachrit lit a candle, that you're going to go ahead and then light a candle. So Tazavot distinguishes between certain Yisrei Malacha, where it's obvious and people would not violate it, over here where we're speaking about light and lighting a candle, it's obvious to everyone that's problematic, and people are not so drawn after that or so excited about lighting a candle that if the Nachrit does it, they're going to come to do it. On the other hand, when it comes to matters of food or matters of Hanata Guf, over there, we worry about people getting a little bit carried away. Therefore, if we allow them to benefit from something that happened by itself, they may come to do the malacha. So Tosafot makes that distinction. He also then notes that there is a distinction over here with regards to what is Asur. When the Nachri does the Malacha on Shabbat, over here it's not only Asur for the person that he did it for, it's Asur for everyone, and that's distinguished or distinct from the case by Eruv. If someone brings something outside of the Tchum for a particular Jew, then for that particular Jew it is restricted, but for any other Jew it is fine to benefit from it. Tosafot over here makes a distinction between Dine Dirabonon and Dine Deoraita. When you're dealing with the Dinder Abundant, like Tchumin, over there, if the Nachri brings it for a particular Jew, for that Jew it's a sword, but for other Jews it's Mutar. Over here we're dealing with lighting a candle, which is Nisa Doraita. Over there, if the Nachri does it for the benefit of the Jew, it's not only a sword for that particular Jew, it's a sword for any Jew to benefit from it. So that's one distinction that Tosavon makes. And Tosavon makes a separate distinction, which is that now that we've decided that this is something we have a Malach of Anakum, if he benefits a particular Jew, it's us for all Jews. What about the fact that we saw earlier in the Mesechta that when it comes to Bishul on Shabbat, if a Jew itself does Bishul on Shabbat, Bishul Gag, unintentionally, then that Jew is restricted in it, but other Jews can benefit from it. There you have an Easter Doraita done by a Jew himself, and yet there we allow you to differentiate between the particular person who did the malacha and other people. So Tosavot says there's a big difference. People are not going to go and do Bishol and Shabbat on purpose. Somebody who did it, Bishogeg, or unintentionally, if you let other people eat from it, he's not going to go the next time and bake or cook intentionally, because that's an Easter Skilah, it's an Easter Chamor. People are very clear, delineated, have red lines that they won't cross, and people aren't going to do that, so we don't have to worry about being konase them, so nobody gets a benefit. By Amir Liakum, which is a much lighter form of Isur, oh, there we have to worry about if we allow other people to benefit from it, they're going to then ask the Nachri to do it for them in particular the next time, and that's why we differentiate between the two. In addition, Tosavot says, why don't we invoke the principle that we did in the Mishnah on the previous daf with regards to Kibwe, extinguishing. Over there we said the Nachri does it for his own benefit. And maybe you could say the same thing over here, that he's lighting the candle for his own benefit because he wants to get compensated, he wants to please the Jew, how come over there we invoke that principle? And over here we do not invoke that principle. So over here again, Tosafot creates a distinction. He says, when do we say that Nahri is acting on his own behalf? He's doing it for his own benefit. That's when you're talking about extinguishing. Because there, the Jew himself doesn't get direct, physical, bodily benefit from that. On the other hand, here where you're getting personal benefit from that which is done by the Nachri, then we can no longer say that he's doing it for his own benefit. It's clear the Nachri is intending to give him this particular Hana'ah, and if he does that, then they can't make the claim that the non-Jew is just doing this for his own benefit. He's only doing this to get compensated. And so therefore, Dosewood again here makes a distinction between the keyboy that was before where we can assign the Nachri's alacrity and altruistic behavior to come and put out the fire, 
as being something he's doing for his own personal benefit because he assumes that he will get compensated for it in the end. And there we don't say that, well, the Jew benefited from it, therefore, because the Jew benefits from the fact that his monetary possessions are saved, but he doesn't get any personal or direct benefit. And over there, you could say that the Nahri is doing it for his own benefit. Over here, where the Jew gets direct, personal, physical benefit from the items that we're going to discuss in the Mishnah, over there you can't invoke this principle that the Nahri is doing for himself because it's clear to the Nahri, and that's his intent, that he's going to give this benefit to the Jew, and that's a problem of the Melacha on Shabbat. So that's the first one that's mentioned here in the Mishnah with regards to lighting a candle. Now the Mishnah will give two additional examples. If a non-Jew fills up the troughs to give his behemoth to drink, the assumption being that the troughs are in Rishut Rabim, the water is found in a bore that is a Rishut HaYachid. So he's moving the water from Rishut HaYachid to Rishut HaRabim, which would be a problem of Hotza'ah on Shabbat. So if he does that for his own benefit, Mashkiach HaRav Yisrael, the Jew can follow up afterwards and drink the leftovers from the trough. The Yisrael Yisrael, but if he draws the water in particular for that Jew, then a sewer. He can't benefit from it. He's not allowed to have his animal drink from that water. If a Nahri made a ramp to disembark from the boat, so on Shabbat he makes a ramp or he lays out a ramp in order to get off the boat, then the Jew can go after him down the ramp because it was done for the Nahri's purpose or benefit. If he only put the ramp there because the Jew needed to disembark from the boat, then Asur, you can't do it because then again, the Moach is being done directly for you. Maseh Rabban Gamliel v'zikenim. was an incident where Rabban Gamliel and the elders, Sheyu Ba'im Bisfina, they were coming on a boat, and it seems like the boat was in Tchum before Shabbat, but it docked on Shabbat, or they were unable to disembark before Shabbat. Kevesh And then the non-Jew on the boat made a ramp so they can disembark. And like our Mishnah says, Rabban Gamliel v'zikenim, exited after him, and the Gemara discussed what exactly the nature of the case is. The Tzricha, and why do we need three cases in our Mishnah to tell us the same halacha? Gemara says, you need them. Had you only told me about the issue of the candle, lighting a candle for one person benefits everyone that is there. When it comes to water, let us say that he might put in more water. So he's drawing in the trough, for his animal, and he sees there's a Jew waiting behind him, so he ends up drawing a little more to benefit the Israel behind him. So then we would have thought that that should be a sur, Kamash Malan, that we don't assume that. Whatever he's drawing, is drawing for his own animal, and he's not doing it in particular for the Jew that's behind him, and therefore the Jew can benefit from the leftover water in the troughs after the Nachri has drawn his water from there, just like by the case of Ner, even though by Ner it's Ner Achad and Ner over here the same principle applies. The Kevish Lomali, so then why does it mention the third case in the Mishnah about the ramp? That seems to be identical to the case of Ner, and then why would you need to add it again into the Mishnah? That is because Masayid the Rebbe Gamliel v'zikinim. Kamash Malon, because there we have case law. We have an incident that took place, and so therefore we bring it down, not because there's any Chiddush, but because of the fact that we have someone acting based on that law, and given that, it carries weight halachically, and that's why we add it in that case. That is why we need all of these three cases that are enumerated in the Mishnah. So now the Gemara continues, A non-Jew who picked weeds, grass, vegetation, once again, a Jew can feed the animal afterwards. But if he did in particular for the Jew, then it is Asur. Rashi notes over here that the word Acharav is used on each of the situations, in particular to indicate that the Nachri has no intent. That's the pivotal piece of information that makes it clear 
then the Nachri is not doing it for the Jew, because the Jew shows up afterwards, and it seems like the Goy didn't have any idea that the Jew was there, or he's coming without any invitation beforehand, and therefore the Nachri is doing for himself. So Rashi says that's what's mochiach, that the Nachri is doing for his own benefit, and not for the Jew's benefit. Now, from Rashi, it would sound like that you would need that information, or you would need that hochacha, that proof that the Nachri is doing it for himself, otherwise it would not be mutar. Although the Baralocha says that Rashi is only saying that when we are uncertain as to what the intent of the Nachri is, then we need some sort of evidence, and this would be evidence of the fact that the Nachri is not doing it for the benefit of the Jew, but if it's clear that the Nachri is not doing it for the benefit of the Jew, then we don't need a hochacha like Acharav or like that which Rashi suggests over here. Mile Maim Lashkot Bemto, if he fills up the troughs in order to feed his animal, a Jew can come afterwards and give his Bema to drink. If he does it in particular for the Jew, then it is problematic. It's interesting over here that the Tosafot quotes from the Rebbeinu Tam, a big Chiddush with regards to our Mishnah, which is not accepted by the Rova Rishonim, or almost all the Rishonim disagree with this Rebbeinu Tam. But he notes over here that our Mishnah in particular says that it is a Behemah, that you're not allowed to drink after that which the Nachri did for the Behemah. The implications of that are, if it was done for an Adam, if it was done for a person, it would not be problematic. And the Rebbeinu Tam explains that based on the fact that if it is something that you personally could do on Shabbat, then you don't have to worry if the Merchri does it for your benefit because you could have done it yourself. And what the Rabbeinu Tam claims is when it comes to the well, even though it's a Rishut Yachid and outside is a Rishut Rabim, the Jew can climb into the well itself and drink from inside the well. Since he could do that, if the Merchri then draws water, whether he's drawing for himself or whether he's drawing for the Jew in particular, no problem, because the Jew could do it on his own volition, go down, take care of it. He wouldn't have to violate Shabbat. The Goy chooses to violate Shabbat in order to bring up the water. That's not your issue, and therefore you could drink from it. That is not true by the Behemoth. You can't lower the Behemoth into the well. You can't bring the Behemoth into the well. Over there, the outcome is that the Nachri is doing it, and he is the facilitator of the ability of the Behemoth to drink, which wouldn't have had the ability to drink otherwise. And therefore, based on that, there is a problem of the Nachri doing Malachi for the Jew. That is the distinction that the Rabbeinu Tam makes, that it's only speaking out of Behemah, Dafka Behemah, and not by a human being. The Re in the Tosavot himself disagrees with the Rabbeinu Tam and says that the Israel himself is also a sewer. So then why, like the Rabbeinu Tam says, does the Mishnah pick Behemah? Rabbeinu Tam has a good deal out of the Mishnah that it's only picking Behemah. Why didn't it speak about the owner of the Behemah as well? So the Re says that that is the Chiddush here. The one human being doesn't drink so much water. So then when he brings up the bucket with a ton of water in it, He's going to bring it up for himself and for the Jew. It doesn't really matter because he can bring up that much water and he's not really adding any more water. He's just pulling up the bucket that one time. On the other hand, when the Behemoth, which drinks a lot of water, there you might have suspected the fact that they would have added water for the Jew because he doesn't necessarily get enough water in one bringing of the bucket up because the Behemoths drink a lot of water. So you would have a Havamina to say maybe you shouldn't be able to benefit from it. Kamash Malan, and that's the Chiddush of why Behemoth is mentioned in the Mishnah. Now, based on the Ri's suggestion that there is no distinction between a human being and an animal, then if you invoke the other principle that Tosafot said before, that means if a Nachri does it for the benefit of an individual, he brings up water, not only can that individual not drink it, nor can any other individual drink it if there was an Isidoraitim. It's being moved from Rishut Yachid to Rishut Rabin. So he moved into a Carmelite when there's only an Isidorabanan, then like Tosafot said before, when you have an Isidorabanan, we'll differentiate between the person in particular who will be restricted Versus other Jews who will be permitted. When is that true? When the Goy has no idea who the Jew is. 
if he knows who the Jew is, then it's a sur. The assumption being that if he knows who it is, then he's doing it for his benefit. Ini, is that really true? A person can bring his animal and have it hang out on top of vegetation, feed on Shabbat. Now this is even items that are attached to the ground. That is because there's no restriction in allowing your animal to be tolish, to rip out that which is attached to the ground, growing in the ground on Shabbat. It says, that your animal should rest. And for the animal to rest is for him to enjoy grazing out in the field. And so you're allowed to let him graze. And that's what it says here. You can bring your animal, standing on top of all this vegetation, and let him eat. But you're not allowed to put it on top of something that's muksa. And obviously in our case over here, where the nochri picked the asavim on Shabbat itself, that's something that is definitely muksa because it was attached to the ground coming into Shabbat. Given that it was attached to the ground coming into Shabbat, when you pick it, it's no lad on Shabbat. You've now done a maloch on Shabbat, and therefore it's muksa. And if that's the case, how are you allowed to allow your animal to stand over or bring him to eat that which the nochri already picked if it's muksa? And the assumption or the problem is that we're worried about you picking up the muksa and feeding it directly to the animal. We're not worried about you picking the items when you bring your animal things that are attached to the ground. That's an isur doraita. That's a significant isur. What we're worried about is when you deal with muksa, which is only a dinder abonon, over there, maybe you'll forget yourself, or maybe you won't care so much, and then you'll start feeding him, if, or you bring the animal to eat from the muksa. So how is it in the b'raita that we saw before, the b'raita says you can bring your animal to eat afterwards from that which the nachri picked. In addition, we saw in the Rebbein Utam that anything a Jew can do, then it's not a problem if a goy does it for him. So over here, the Jew can bring the animal to eat from the attached items. The fact that the goy picked it, why should it be a problem for him at all, according to the Rebbein Utam? The Rebbein Utam claims over here that it was treya evre denaro. It was a case where the Jew was unable to access this without the picking of the non-Jew, or the way the Balamur explains it is that without the non-Jew, he wouldn't have been able to gather it all together. He did mamar, he piled it up, stacked it on Shabbat, which made it efficient and appealing to the animal. So the goy did some sort of malacha that facilitated the ability of the animal to eat that you wouldn't have been able to do by yourself. So Gomer's answer is, the It's the case where not that the Jew actually walks the animal over to the detached items that are muksa, but rather it's a case where he corners the animal and directs him towards that item. So in a case where he's present, the Jew, then it's a problem because we're afraid that he maybe will feed the muksa to the animal. But in a case where he's not present because he just directed the animal to be there, but he's not right there where the picked items are, then we don't worry about him picking up the muksa and feeding it to the animal, and that's why it would be permissible. Now, as to why these items are muksa, it's interesting because you could have differentiated between the sheet of Rabbi Yudah and Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Yudah holds there's muksa. Rabbi Shimon holds that there's not muksa. Why does the Gemara here reconcile by saying that we can reconcile between these two positions, should say one position is according to Rabbi Shimon, where we don't worry about muksa, one is according to Rabbi Uda, where we do worry about muksa. So Tozu gives one answer, which is the Gemara wanted to make it work even according to Rabbi Uda, all the positions here. The other answer that Tozu gives is that maybe even Rabbi Shimon agrees by this item that it's muksa. And that is because even though there are other items where if they fall off on Shabbat, or they become accessible on Shabbat, Rabbi Shimon believes that they're not muksa, that's because a person anticipates that item coming on Shabbat, or this type of malacha happening on Shabbat. That end, by the guards to vegetation that's attached to the ground, the Jew has no anticipation of being taken out on Shabbat. If that's the case, he never really had it in mind. It's the equivalent of gugurot, vitzimukim, things that are put away, where you don't have them in the forefront of your consciousness, 
And therefore, even Rabbi Shimon would agree that this is Muksa over here. So now the Gemara continues, Amar Mar, Bamed Varim the Brightest said, that when is it true that they can benefit from the Nachri's work? Shein Makiro. Well, you don't know who he is. Abal Makiro, Asur. But if the Nachri knows who the Jew is, then you can't do it because we assume the Nachri is doing it for the benefit of the Jew. Ha, Rabbi Gamliel, Makiro, Havo. Wait a minute, Rabbi Gamliel on the boat, the people who were on the boat with Rabbi Gamliel clearly knew him. Rashi claims the reason is because they spent a lot of time on the boat together, so he clearly knew who Rabbi Gamliel was. Others, like the Sfatimah, want to suggest that it had to do with Rabbi Gamliel being the Nasi. And he was an important person. And if they landed in his city, they would have known that he was a significant individual in the city. And therefore, it was clear that they knew who he was, or that they were going to be doing it for his benefit. So I'm Rabbi Yishalob but he says it was not done in front of him. So Abayi's claim is that when it's not done in front of him, the assumption is it's done for the Nachri's benefit, not for the other party's benefit. Rav Amar, Afilu Even if it was done in front of him, we could still say it's not done for the benefit of Rav because Nerechad, Neil the Meya. When you light one candle, it's beneficial for the individual lit it, as well as for any other person who comes by. One candle is sufficient for one person or hundred people, and so to over here. The non-Jew wants to disembark, he's got to put a ramp down. So the fact that Rabbi Gamliel is going to go after him doesn't really matter, because even if he knows Rabbi Gamliel, or even he's standing in front of Rabbi Gamliel, the non-Jew wants to get off the boat. And since he wants to get off the boat, that's enough of a reason to make it that it's near the Echa, near the Meya, and that logic would then allow Rabbi Gamliel to benefit from that which the Goy did, even if he was Makiro. So Gamliel seems to be indicating, like Abaye, the fact that the Nachri put the ramp on not in front of them, that gives us permission to disembark. Ema, so imen that read, hov aso nereidbo. Since he made it, we can descend. Tashma, what about this? This seems to be problematic both for Abaye and Rova now. Ir Shisrael, benachrim darim bitocha, the Jewish city with non-Jews living in it, vaitaba merchatz, hamerchetzet b'shabat, have a bathhouse that's owned by a non-Jew that's open on Shabbat. Imrov Nachrim, if the majority of the city is non-Jews, you have permission to go into that bathhouse immediately after Shabbat. You don't have to wait. Imrov Yisrael, if the majority of the residents of the city are Jews, then you have to wait after Shabbat until the amount of time it would take to heat up the bathhouse. Our assumption is clearly that we believe whoever is the majority of the city then you're doing it for those individuals. And so as Rashi points out over here, there's a problem for Abaye, because even Shalom B'fanav here, they're doing this not in front of the Jews, and yet it's still problematic for the Jews after Shabbat. And for Rova, it's problematic because if the majority of the population is Jews, we assume that that's the point. He's doing it for those Jews. Because even though if he doesn't makiroi, he doesn't know them individually, but as a group, he knows or is aware of the Jews that are there, and he's doing it for their benefit. So it's a problem both for Abai and for Rova. So the Gemara says, The problem is, and that's what the issue is, is that when you have a majority in the city, we assume anything that's being done is being done for that majority in particular. So therefore the Ikor Chilu Shabbat, as Rashi said, is being done for their benefit. And therefore it's problematic even for Abaye when it's Shalom B'Fanav. And even according to Rova, when it's Makiro, it's still problematic because we assume he's doing it in particular for this individual, and that overrides anything, which is if he's doing it for the individual, then it doesn't matter if it's Shalom B'Fanav, doesn't matter if it's Makiro, but at Nerachad Ner because he's doing that for them in particular, and that's the problem over here. The Balya Tosafot point out that when Abayi says Shalom B'Fanav is Mutar, 
near the reed, the modar abai, the nerechad, near the mea. Abai agrees with Rabba's principle that nerechad, near the mea, because that's found in the Mishnah as well. El de Sabar Hocha. Over here, he thinks there's a distinction that even if it was in front of him, Ikariyana said the Tzorach Rabbi Gamliel. Had he done it in front of him, he would have assumed that the particular actions be done for Rabbi Gamliel, given that he was a Nasi, given that he had stature. And therefore, we, we can't invoke the principle of Nerechad Nehlemeya when he's doing it in particular for that individual. And Roba disagrees and says that despite the fact that he's a Nasi, the Nachri still wants to disembark. If he wants to disembark, then he needs a ramp. And if he needs a ramp, then Rabbi Gamliel can also benefit from that ramp, and he's not doing it in particular for Rabbi Gamliel. And there are other Rishonim, like the Rashma and the Ran, who say the opposite is true as well. That Rova agrees with Abaye. If that the Nachri does it Shalobi Fanav, that it's Mutar for Yisrael Anot Mimenu. But Rova's addition is not that he's rejecting Abaye, he's just adding on top of Abaye, that even if it's done Bifanav, you can still have a Hetter if it's Ner Lechad Ner Lemeya. But Shalobi Fanav, he would agree with Abaye that it clearly can work in that way. And you can be Medayik that out of the Lashona Gemara, which is Afilu Tema Bifanav. Even if you want to say Bifanav, meaning Shlofanav, you're right. But even if you said Bifanav, there's an additional heter of Ner Lechad, Ner Lemeya. Despite that fact, the Shulchan Aruch, everybody brings down the Locha, that the Locha is like Rova, like we pass can always between a Machok and Rabbi and Rova, we pass on the Rova, makes no such distinction of Bifanav and Shalom Bifanav. It's interesting also that even though over here, even if the individual is a important individual, Rova still says Ner Lechad, Ner Lemeya, and it's the individual's importance or standard is not Koveya. So the Ber Locha wants to suggest that that distinction within the Tosafot might only be true when the individual is doing the malacha for himself, then we don't consider the fact that the other party he knows might want to get benefit from it. So even though Rabbi Gamliel is a big gun, nevertheless, since the Nachrin needs it for himself, Rabbi says, since he needs it for himself, it doesn't matter that Rabbi Gamliel also needs it, it doesn't matter that Rabbi Gamliel is of a huge stature. But on the other hand, if the individual doesn't need the malacha himself, doesn't need to benefit from himself, over there, having a significant individual over there could weigh in heavily on the situation. And that's what the Miri suggests over here, that when we're talking about Rob Nachrim, Rob Yisrael, that might only matter when everybody is on an equal footing. But if there is a very important individual or significant individuals in the city, whether they're Jews or non-Jews, and the person who's running the bathhouse would consider them more than anyone else, they might be the Koveya in that case, and that could be the Kula or the Khumra, because over there he's not getting personal benefit from it, he's doing it for other individuals, and then we have to think about what his mindset is, and his mindset might be influenced by important individuals that are in the city, rather than simply the simple majority of whether it's Jews or non-Jews. Tashma, Nera Daluk Vimisiba, once again we have a question on Bayan Rova again, if you have a candle that's lit at some sort of celebration, Imrob Nachrim, if the majority of the participants are non-Jews, Mutar, then other Jews can get benefit from it. Imrob Yisrael, the majority of the beneficiaries of this light at the Misibar, Jews, Asur, then you can't get benefit from it because it's clearly done for the benefit of the Jews. Mechsa, Mechsa, Asur. If it's 50-50, then it's Asur. So again, here you have a problem, which is, it's Shalobi Fanaf, and yet we still say it's problematic, and it's Makiro, which is that he knows who he's doing it for, and here it's clearly a case of Ner Lechad Ner Lemeya. And so according to Rava, when it's Makiro, it shouldn't have been a problem, and over here we're saying that the majority is Jews, it's still problematic. So again, the Gemara says the same answer I gave before, Atam Nami, Adaita Deruba Madlake, when they light, or they put up the candles, their focus is on the majority of the participants. It's as if the Malach is being directed for them, or done for them personally, if that's the case, 
then it doesn't matter that Shalom Fanaf, doesn't matter that Snerachad and Elameya, because the people are doing this in particular for those individuals, assuming that they don't need the benefit or they're not going to get the benefit from the light, and therefore you can't invoke the principle of Nerachad, Ner the Meya. What's interesting over here is if you have Mechsa, Mechsa, the 50-50, it's a sur, likely because it's a Sufeik, and we don't know. Since we don't know, then we assume the Chumrah. Rashi later on the Mesechta says that's a sur because when it's Mechsa, Mechsa, we assume he did it for both of them, not because it's a Sufeik, meaning that if there really was a Sufeik, it would be Mutar, because we wouldn't know then, or we then it wouldn't particularly be aimed at the Jews. The Shulchan Paskins, that anytime you have a Sufeik, we assume the Chumrah, but based on Rashi, the Baralocha wants to be matir in a case of you have a sveik sveikot. If you have two sveikot involved, then we're willing to be mekil because of Rashi's interpretation that the whole problem here is that it's mechsa mechsa. But in a case of sveik, it would be lenient. So using that leniency of Rashi plus another sveik piled on top of it, in that case, maybe you could be mekil for nachri that does melacha. So he went to the house of Abin Torah, and it's not clear who this individual was, whether he was Jewish or non-Jewish. Ado Nachri Adlik Shraga. And Anju came and lit the candle. Hajinu Shmuel Apei. Shmuel turned away from it because he thought the individual was lighting the candle for Shmuel's benefit. And that's Melechet Nachri for a Jew on Shabbat, and therefore he didn't want to benefit from it, so he turned away. Came into Chaz of the Aiti Shtar Kakari. But then he saw the non-Jew, after he lit the candle, brought over some sort of document that he wanted to read, and he sat down to read the document by the candle. So Amar, and you see now that he lit it for his own benefit. Since he lit it for his own benefit, then I can now get benefit from it. He turned back to face the candle to get benefit from the candle because Shmuel realized at this point that Deinachri wasn't lighting it for Shmuel. He was lighting it for his own benefit and for his own purposes. So from this, the Shulchan Aruch Paskins that if there's a Hochacha, it's obvious that Deinachri did it for his own benefit, then you can get benefit from Deinachri right away, like that we just said here by Shmuel. Magen of Ram adds in an additional factor, which is, that's only if we don't know why the Nachri lit it. If we don't know why he lit it, and then we get evidence that he lit it for himself, then you're allowed to use it. But if we know for certain that he did it also for the Jews' benefit, then it would be a sewer. On the other hand, there are many that are makeyo, not like the Magen of Ram, and say, as long as the Nachri gets some benefit, personal benefit from it, then there is Mokom Mahakel. Even though the Berlocha favors the Magen Avram's position, he says that you wouldn't be moche in the hands of people or make it to allow the Nochri to get some benefit as long as he shows that he is benefiting from the candle. Then we say, Ne'er l'chad, ne'er l'meya. It doesn't matter that he's also benefiting the Jew or is also thinking about the Jew. Now we finish the 16th parak. Now we begin the 17th parak. Kol ha'kelim nitalim b'shabbat. All kelim can be carried on Shabbat. And their doors can be taken with them. These are kelim, like as Rashi says, a shida, teva, migdal. These are different types of storage places, closets, bureaus, amwars that have doors to them. So they are mutarim to be carried on Shabbat. And their doors can be carried with them. Even though they were separated away or taken off the item before Shabbat. Because they're very different than doors to the house. If it comes to a door to the house, that's not something that you would expect to use on Shabbat. The reason is that the door attached to the house is part of the binyan, it's part of the structure of the house. If you disassemble the house, you have something that is muksa, you have to do stira, you have to do something that takes it away from the place that it's in, through a malacha, 
And therefore you have no intent of using it and it's muksa and you would not be able to utilize it if it came away or fell away from the doorway to the house. On the other hand, when it comes to the doors of these kelim, even if they're detached, they can easily be put back and many times you would put them back. And if they were there before Shabbat, you might take them off, put them back. Because of that, they are what's called mutarina gav avien. The main kli, which is something that you can use on Shabbat, the doors are then captured by that kli and brought along with it in order to make it mutar on Shabbat. No tell Adam kurnas, the fatseya bo tegozim, a person can take a hammer to smash open nuts on Shabbat. This will be tomorrow's daf, which we'll discuss what type of hammer is this. But the assumption here, and you can see with the remainder of the items in the Mishnah, that we're dealing with a kli, shemlach toli sur. It's a utensil that's normally used for something that's a sur on Shabbat. And over here, you need it, letzarach kufo, you need it for a particular action that is necessary to be done with this item that's mutar on Shabbat. So normally the hammer will be used for something that's a sur. Nevertheless, the hammer also can be used to crack open nuts. And therefore, if you use it to crack open nuts on Shabbat, it's not muksa, it's kalishim lachtoli sur, letzorach kufo, which would be mutar on Shabbat. Kodom, you can use a hatchet, lachtok vela, to cut into a circle of figs that have been pressed together. Migeira lagurbayat agvina, you could take a serrated knife or a saw to cut the cheese with it. Magrefa, the growth part You can have a shovel or a spade to take out the dried figs from the barrels. Etarachat veta malgez, the winnowing shovel or a pitchfork. And you can see here on the side that maybe the gyrsa should be mazleg. You can put a piece of food on the end of those items, even though they're normally used for items that would be a sewer. You can feed the katan with something attached at the end of it. Etakush, which is a spindle. Etakarkar, which is either the shuttle or a sharp weaving stick. Lichtovbo, to use it as a toothpick to pick up some soft fruit. Machachayad, you can use a small needle to take out. Litovbo etakots, to take out a splinter. Lishlaksakayim, a larger weaving needle that's used to make sack. Liftoch boetadelet, to pick the lock, to open up, if you don't have the key, to open up the lock to the door. So now the Gemara asks about our Mishnah. All the Kelim can be carried, even if they fell apart on Shabbat. There's some question as to whether Bishabbat is in the Mishnah. It seems from the Gemara that it was found in the Mishnah, and that's why the Gemara assumes that that's the Havamina here. And the assumption is that if they came apart on Shabbat, then you can clearly carry them. And certainly if they came apart on the weekday, you'd also be allowed to carry them. The Gemara says, Adarabah. The logic is backwards. If they came apart on Shabbat, it makes more sense that they should be mutarim. And that is because they were attached coming into Shabbat. And coming into Shabbat, their primary object, which is whatever they're covering, whatever they're closing, was a kli that was mutar. And so they too, along with the kli, became mutar. And then when they're detached on Shabbat, they remain mutar. Then if they were already separated on a weekday... There, there's more reason to believe that the Kli now is independent from the Delet. And that's the case, and you would have assumed that maybe they're not Muchana B'Gaviyem. And that would be a bigger Chiddush. And so that's what the Gemara says. B'Shabbat Muchana G'Aviyem. B'Choi Muchanim G'Aviyem. So Rabbi Kamar. This is the way to read it. Kol HaKelim Nitalim B'Shabbat. All Kelim can be carried on Shabbat. V'Dalto Tehem Imaem. And their doors with them. Afal Pish Nitparku B'Chol Nitalim B'Shabbat. So the B'Shabbat is not modifying when they fell apart. Rather that on Shabbat you're allowed to carry these doors even if they fell apart on Chol. So that's the bigger Chiddush. And so we're saying now even if they fell apart on Chol they're still considered to be a part and parcel of the Kli because they can easily be replaced, put back. That's what their primary utilization is. 
Therefore, they're mukhan al gabi even if they were taken apart on chol. Now, even though, as the Bayi Tosaf will point out, we saw the opposite logic earlier in the Masechta with regards to shivrei kelim. When something breaks, we said that if it breaks on Shabbat, that might be a problem with muksov nolad, because the kli was for a particular purpose beforehand. Now it breaks on Shabbat, you're trying to change the purpose. Whereas if it broke on chol beforehand, then you would already have in mind to use whatever that piece is for that particular item. So there you see the opposite logic. On chol, it's more likely to be less muksa if it happened before Shabbat. If it happens on Shabbat, it's more likely to be muksa. So Tosavot says there's a big difference. Over here, the item is still being used for its primary purpose. It was a door. It was a door before Shabbat. It's a door on Shabbat. Nothing has changed, and therefore there's more likelihood that if it happened on Shabbat, it would remain not muksa. On chol, you would have had a hamina, maybe not. And then when it comes to shivrei kelim, they're being repurposed. When you repurpose something, that's clearly a change in the item. So a change in the item on Shabbat is more problematic than a change in the item on chol. Because if it changed already on chol, then you could already have it in mind coming into Shabbat. But if it changes on Shabbat, that's nolad, and that's why it's a problem. That's why there's a distinction between shivrei kelim and daltotehem over here. Daltotehem over here are whole items that still have their primary purpose intact. Shvarim are things that are broken, now you're trying to repurpose them. There, if they broke on Shabbat, it'd be nolad and problematic. The broken hole, it would be more likely to be included into things that are muhan on Shabbat because you've already repurposed it. Tanur Banan. Delet shil shida, shil teva, shil migdal. You have a door to any of these items like a chest, a bureau, an armoire, notlin, avalomach zirin. You're allowed to take them off, but you're not allowed to return them. The shalol shil tainagolim, if it is in the chicken coop, lo notlin, velomach zirin. You can't take the doors off, you can't put them on. When you're dealing with the chicken coop, it's easy to understand what's going on here. Since the chicken coop is a binyana structure, and if you put doors on the structure, then you have a problem because you have binyan and stira. Putting the doors on is building on Shabbat. Taking them off is dismantling on Shabbat. And therefore, yesh binyan b'karka, yesh stira b'karka. When something's mechubar b'karka, something's attached to the ground, then you have a problem of binyan and stira on Shabbat. So putting on the doors and taking them off would be problematic. Ela shishida, shotevav, shomigdal, these three items, my kasavar, he's inconsistent in his position. Ikatsavar yesh binyan b'kelim, yesh stira b'kelim. We believe that even in kelim, things that are not attached to the ground, there's a concept of binyan and stira on Shabbat, so if there's binyan in kelim, which is a problem of putting the doors back on, then yesh tirabikelim, there's a problem dismantling them, so why are we allowed to take the door off? Me ain't tirabikelim. If there's no problem with taking the door off of the item, ain't binyan bikelim. Then there's no binyan bikelim, and otherwise there's even a havamina that you can't return it. So it should be one or the other. Either you can put it on and take it off, or you can't put it on and take it off. Why is there any inconsistency where you can take it off and not put it back on. So I'm going So Abayi says, I'll explain to you the Brayta here. The Tana here believes that there is a concept of Binyan and Stira and Kelim. It's not that Notlin, that they were taken off actively, but they were taken off. You weren't involved with it. They fell off. Somebody else took them off. They were removed somehow from here, but had nothing to do with you. So now once you're faced with them being taken off, you can't put them back on. So That explanation is untenable for two reasons. The Brayta says notlin, that you can actively take them off. It doesn't say nitalin, it says notlin. You can actively remove them. It says lechatchila, you can take them off. According to you, what does it mean? But you can't put them back on. Because if they were taken off by themselves, 
then what does it mean that you can't put them back on? You didn't take them off to want to say that you're going to put them back on. You would just say, lo machsirin. You wouldn't say aval, but means that something else happened before, and now you can't do the opposite of that. But over here, the actions are differentiated. One happened by itself, and the other one is now being done actively by you. And therefore, the word aval is misplaced in that situation. Tozvot, on the other hand, reads, they notlim b'shabat, not to mean that you can take them off, but rather, the way that Abai is explaining them now, is that if they were taken off, you mitaltalin, you can carry them around on Shabbat. And that's the way Abai is explaining it. Not that simply, if they were taken off by themselves or by someone else, that then it's okay. But rather, there has to be something actively that's okay over here. And what Abai is suggesting is that once they're taken off, they're not muksa and they can be carried around. Balomach Sivin, you can't return them. And Rova disagrees. First of all, he says it says notlin. Not mitaltalin. And number two is, then there's an inconsistency in the machzirin and the notlin. Quite the notlin means you can carry them around if they were taken off. And the latter part of the brighta means that you're not allowed to put them back on. It has nothing to do with being mitaltal, carrying them around. And therefore there's an inconsistency between the notlin and the machzirin, according to you. And that's why Rav has to offer it in all the Batinib shot. Elama Rova, Kasavar. So Rav says that this Tana must believe. Ain't binyama kalim, ain't stirabi kalim. There's no problem of building by kalim. There's no problem of dismantling by Kilim. Gazera Shemayitka. The problem is that you might have fixed it tightly. And we're worried about you putting it in tightly. Rashi says here, Bechazakab Sakin Beyitzedot. Might use a tool. You might use some sort of pegs. The Rabbeinu Chananel says, maybe you'll put nails in it or pegs in it. You'll fix it. Rabbi Lei, Gemar Melocha. And it'll be, according to Rashi, the completion of a Melocha. Bechayi Mishu Makin Bepatish. And it'll be a problem of Makin Bepatish on Shabbat. This is Rashi the Shitado who believes Ain Binyan Vestira Bekelim. Despite the fact that there's Ain Binyan Vestira Bekelim, there is a problem with Makib If you finish the Kli or you complete the Kli, then you have a problem with Makib We saw earlier in the Mesechta back on Ayin Dalit Amud Bet, the Tosafot disagrees with Rashi and says, the Halocha, there is Binyan and Stira Bekelim, but it is somewhat limited. And that is, it's only in the case when you aren't building the entire Kli. But Kshosa the Gamri Kola Kli, if you make the entire Kli, then you can have binyan and stira in kelim. Or if you're mechadesh something by creation, that's also as a din of binyan and stira in kelim. And so that's where Tosafot invokes that principle of binyan and stira of kelim. Whereas Rashi never thinks it's binyan and stira kelim, only in cases of makibipatish. Over here, it's clear, Rav is saying that there is no binyan and stira kelim according to this Tano. And therefore, the only principle that can be invoked over here is the problem of makibipatish. Okay, we're going to stop here by the two dots on the bottom of Kufchav Bet, Amud Bet.